So this is Carol's last Sunday, I understand, so uh, I would encourage you to uh, say hi to her, wish her well if you know her, consider praying for her. When I was in junior high and high school, one of my favorite sports was running track. Um, you know, it's like running in a circle, not very many people like running in circles, but I, I did, I liked to run in circles. And I ran on the 440-yard relay team and the 880-yard relay team. Uh, on a relay team, there are four runners in each event. And uh, the first runner starts with the baton. And as he runs, he comes to the second runner, and he hands the baton off. The second runner reaches back, takes the baton, moves forward, just as smooth as... And uh, so four runners, and they finish. And one of the most important things that I learned about relay teams is handing off the baton. It's really, really important. Uh, this was never so crucial as it was in the 2004 Summer Olympics. You know what? I, I forgot the bridge, kids. Bridge, kids, you can, you can go. It's my, my bad. <laughs> 2004 Summer Olympics. U.S. women's team was predicted to win the 4x100-meter relay. They had some of the best women sprinters on one team gathered of all time. Marion Jones was a top woman sprinter for the U.S. She had won four gold medals the previous Olympics. When Marion Jones took the baton, she was running the second leg. She finished her leg and handed off to um, the third leg, 20-year-old Lauren Williams. Winning the gold was like a no-brainer for the Americans. When Jones tried to make her handoff, she missed. Quickly, she tried again. Second try, she missed. Third time, she missed. Finally, at the fourth try, she made the connection, but it was too late. She had run through her 20-yard uh, disqualification, and uh, the Americans were disqualified from that event. They lost because they couldn't uh, make the handoff. When it comes to the Christian life, it's like a relay race. Every generation must pass the baton to the next generation. Every uh, generation must pass their Christian faith to the next generation. We wouldn't be here today if someone hadn't passed the baton to us. Every Christian parent must pass their faith to their children. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Now, sadly, many Christian, many kids who grow up in Christian families don't make it well in adulthood because of a major failure in the handoff by the parents. So we're going to uh, go back to the basics this morning. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I want to invite you to turn there. It's on page 128 or 182. If you grabbed one of the uh, bridge Bibles when you came in, and we're going to look at this text. It's going to be really important that you look at the text yourself and see what the Scripture says. The first thing I want uh, to draw to our attention from this passage is to teach your kids about the true and living God. 
Sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Teach your kids about the true and living God. When we come to, come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, let me set the, the stage a little bit. You know, context is important for me. I learn when I understand context. So I think everybody else needs to understand context. So let's just go back to the first five books, all written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The book of Genesis. We did a series a couple years ago on the life of Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50. And we saw how God preserved Joseph and his family and sent them into Egypt. That's the end of the book. So we come into Exodus, and uh, Joseph's family is 70 people. But over a period of 400 years, God God multiplies those people and those families where there's 600,000 males over the age of 20. Now, if they were married, which many of them would have been, and if they had kids, which many of them would have had, some of them would have had multiple kids, it's easy to see they had two and a half, two to three million people easily uh, in Egypt 400 years later. God ra- and in this time, Egypt, under the Pharaoh of Egypt, took them into captivity and made them slaves. And then God raised up Moses to deliver them. And God used 10 miraculous plagues against the gods of Egypt to bring Pharaoh to the point of saying, okay, you may go. And Pharaoh Uh, let them go. And they left Egypt, and they ended up wandering in the desert. In the book of Exodus, God gave them laws, the Ten Commandments, and a few other laws, many. And then the book of Leviticus, God gave them more laws, up to 613, and on how to worship, including the sacrificial system, very complicated. In the book of Numbers, it tells a lot of the story about them wandering in the wilderness for 39 years because they were slow to learn. We come to the book of Deuteronomy. They are perched on the plains of Moab. It's a, it's a camping trip, 39 years long. Now for one year, they are going to rest on the plains of Moab, and God is going to remind them of what he's done in the past and what's going to happen in the future. Deuteronomy 6 is key to this whole thing. So we're going to start with teach your kids about the true and living God. Now we have a little bit of a context. This is 1400 BC, 1400 years before the birth of Christ. So no New Testament written yet. In fact, none of the Old Testament has been written beyond what's happening right here. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It begins, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a crucial passage to the Jewish people. It's called the great Shema. It's from that very first word that hear, and the Hebrew word is Shema, and it means hear people, hear, hear it with your ears, understand what it's about, take it to your heart, and now obey it. That's all in one word, Shema. They got it. We hear here, we think about sound vibrations going into the ear. That's it. But for them, it was embracing it into their lives and following through with response. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Um, let's, uh, secondly, let's, the Lord equals uh, is Yahweh and is totally unique. That's what this passage is teaching. 
Uh, Yahweh is a Hebrew name for God, for the Lord. Whenever you see in the Old Testament, Lord, all caps, that always means that there, there's a name behind this. This isn't God, G-O-D. This is personal name, Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah. Um, so after following God out of Egypt through the wilderness, this passage frames the context that everything is to, everything to come. This truth sets the God of Israel apart from all creation and all other supposed gods, not only of the ancient world, but anywhere in the world at any time. Um, secondly, um, the Lord is totally unique because he is a personal God who has revealed himself to his people. He's a personal God. The Lord is our God. Now, there's a lot of information about God before we get here. This is not like the only passage that tells us who God is. But God has already revealed himself. He is a holy God. Uh, he has a pure heart. There's no evil, no deceit in him. He's a righteous God. Uh, he's an all-powerful God. He, he has blown the socks off of everybody in his way where evil has raised its head. And he's a God who provides, and he did all through the wilderness. And he's a God you can count on. He's a faithful God. This is the God, and he is their God. He's holy. He doesn't have impure thoughts or deceitful thoughts. He doesn't intend to trick people. He is also unique because he is one. He has unity. There is a oneness. And that's really strange when you compare the God of the Bible with all the gods of the ancient world and everything that calls itself God today, by the way. He is totally unique and separate and different and as the Hebrew people understood, wonderful. And if you know God, and you're learning more about who he is in the Bible, you see that he is wonderful. Next, the Lord alone is God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, this clearly reminds God's people. They have just come out of Egypt, and all these powerful supernatural... See. So we, we think sometimes, unless when we see supernatural, we start look. at least I think Americans start looking for God. Supernatural does not mean God is in it. There was all kinds of supernatural stuff going on in Egypt. Very powerful. Not from the true and living God. And the true and living God, when he delivered God's people, um, overcame every one of those so-called gods empowered by demons and God did miracles to deliver his people. He's, he's all-powerful. And this reminds God's people that they have, there's only one, only one. There's not many. See, the problem with the gods of the, of the ancient world, and the same thing happens today, is you have gods working against each other. You know, you have the god of good crops, and the god of fertil goddess of fertility, and you have the gods of weather, and you have gods of the sun and the moon, and you have different gods, and they don't work together. They work against each other sometimes. So the, old, the uh, people in the ancient world were always trying to figure out, how can I make this God happy so something good happens? And Moses is reminding God's people, there's only one, only one true and living God. This is central. 
And he's revealed himself to be holy and righteous. He's not evil or impure. He's the God of truth. He's not deceptive or dishonest. He is the God of justice. He's not unjust. He is almighty, all-powerful over all of creation, over evil. He's the God who provides. He's the God who keeps his promises. He never fails. He's the God who is faithful, not unfaithful. Here's an observation. This passage has... Let's go back to that. Implication. Hope and security come from knowing the God above all. That was an easy application. Hope, the God we know, is a God who's telling us about the future. He's a God we can trust. He's a God who's come through on everything he said. That gives them security. They're walking into an unknown future. What was to them a promised land? But you know how they got there? They had to fight their way through it. And that's what God told them to do. Hope and security come from knowing the God above all. Let's go on to the next observation. This passage has profound implications on the doctrine of the Trinity. I'll go through this real quick. And some of you know this. Uh, the word the Lord is the personal name for God, and it is Yahweh. So Yahweh is God, and he is one. And then it goes on to say Yahweh, our God. Our God, the word for God is Elohim, that's a Hebrew word that's plural. So what we have is God, uh, Yahweh, there's a plurality, and then it's one. God is one. That's complicated. The point is, from from the earliest, from Genesis chapter one, we have a plurality in the Godhead. And we have a unity, a plurality and a unity. This is the groundwork for the Trinity that's going to be revealed in the New Testament. Three persons, one God. And I'm not saying it's simple. I'm just saying here it is. It's starting to show up right here. And the Jewish people have had this passage all the time. Okay, secondly, parents, love God wholeheartedly, verses 5 and 6. Love God wholeheartedly. And this is about having a personal relationship with God. It's right there in verse 5. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths. He is a personal God who has revealed himself to you. And now it's about responding back to him, your God. It's personal. Um. So, uh, real parents, this is a real practical question here. Is he your God? Is the God of the Bible? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Is he your God? Do you take him seriously? Do you follow him? Because it's about having a personal relationship with him. Now, if you um, don't know much about having a relationship with God, when we come to the New Testament, the New Testament explains easily for us how we can begin a relationship with God. And that's by understanding who God's son is, Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross, and that he paid the penalty for our sins. And that this penalty has been paid for, and God is asking us to believe his message. And if we will put our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, our sins are forgiven We're given eternal life, and we become equipped 
to begin to be able to teach our family about spiritual things and about who the true and living God is. Verse 5, it's also about full devotion to God. Loving God wholeheartedly is about full devotion to God. It's kind of another way to say it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is about a total commitment to God. It's a sacrificial commitment. It's about placing his desires above our desires. It's another way we talk about lordship. Uh, if we use Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom. This would apply in Old Testament or New Testament. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and you're going to have to trust him, and all these things will be added to you. The problems of your life can get an answer, but you need to put him first. It's about lordship. It's full devotion to God. We talk about full devotion to Christ, being fully devoted followers of Jesus. Also, in verse 5, it's about loving God with your total being. It's kind of a, another way to talk about this. Uh, to love God with all your heart. This is the center of your conscious life, the command center. It's where you make decision. It's a secret place in your life. Love God with your heart. You know, sometimes we like to cover up our heart. We don't, nobody can see our heart except God. And then your soul. This is about your feelings and your emotions and your strength. This is your physical energy and actions. The thing, you know, we have a tendency to compartmentalize. Western thinkers, we think of um, with our hearts and with our souls and with our physical strength or our bodies. And so we have three compartments. And the Hebrew mindset never even, that never even crossed their mind. It was just, this is who I am. A, a person is, is all about um, their heart and their soul and their energy. And you can't separate them. Verse 6. Okay, now we've got from the basics, and we're going to see how this plays out. Uh, this is where the baton gets passed or dropped. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And so... These commandments, all of them, but let's just start with this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's to be on your heart. Uh, so parents, this is for you, and it's for all of you future parents. It starts with you. Loving God is our responsibility. Loving God is on us. Having priorities that honor God is our responsibility as parents. Obeying God's commands in our homes, is our responsibility. And it starts with our hearts. It starts with us. I had a, a seminary professor uh, had a major impact on my life and on our marriage, Howard Hendricks, and he said, men, you cannot impart what you do not possess. So on the one hand, if you're a pastor and you're not living it, don't expect anybody to catch it. This is really powerful in the home. Parents, if we don't have a vital spiritual relationship with Christ, how in the world will our kids catch it? They won't. That's why there's such a major failure in the church today of passing the baton to the next generation. It's because of us parents. It's not the kids. It's the parents. Um. So uh, it starts with parents, and next it's what Jesus taught. And you already know that.
but let's just be reminded. Jesus taught this, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. He was asked this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It was designed to be a trick question. They didn't think the carpenter was smart enough to know. How would he know all the Old Testament passage, 613 commandments? How is Jesus going to know? You have to study the Bible to know the answer to this one. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. He pulled that out of Leviticus 19. When's the last time you had your devotions in Leviticus? He just, second greatest commandment. This is, this is how it all makes sense. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And he gives this major insight in the Bible right there. Everything in the Bible hinges on two commandments. Divide the Bible up into two sections. One is about loving God and two is about loving others. That's what the Bible's for. Okay? Ten commandments are divided in those two. All the New Testament is divided in those two. Love God, love your neighbor, love others. Later, Jesus put it this way, if you love me, keep my commandments. Greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and might. Who is Jesus? God. In fact, he's Yahweh. He's the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He says, if you love me, follow, do do it. Keep my commandments. Great commission. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. We call that fully devoted followers of Christ. Okay, parents, ready for number three. This is the last one. Teach and model love for God to your children. Teach and model love for God to your children. Verses 7 through 9. First of all, these instructions are to be impressed onto your children's lives. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Impress them. That doesn't mean force them. You know, drive it, force feed them, hit them on the head with truth. No, your life should leave a huge impression on your kids. You know, when you sit too long in some place, you get an imprint. Your love for God should leave an imprint on your kids. It should mark your kids for life. It should leave an imprint, um, like, you know, across their foreheads. If you just picture, I love God. And they're, oh, that's, yeah, that's what my parents are like. And um, after your kids grow up in your household, well, they just say, well, my parents were nominal Christians. They were average. I went to church some. Did some Christian things. It wasn't bad. Well, that won't develop fully devoted followers of Christ. There won't be people on fire for Christ. There won't be people sharing their faith. People wonder, is this really important or is this an option out there? Um... Your spiritual DNA will mark your children for good or not so good. Next, next slide. We don't have... Oh, I added that myself. 
Your spiritual DNA, think of this, will mark your children for good, what you do in your home, how you live, your faith, or not so good. It's going to rub off. We sometimes get the idea that we'll do a fair job and we expect some miracle to happen and somebody else is going to take our kids to the next level. And that doesn't happen often. It it does sometimes. B, these instructions are to be taught and modeled throughout the day. Verse 7, taught and modeled throughout the day. So verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. This does not say, if you have time. It does not say, if you are not too busy. This is where parents, we set the tone, we lead in our homes. What's really important in our home? And we have a choice. We can't do everything, and our kids can't do everything. So some choices have to be made about values and what's really important the first one, sitting at home. I was going to do them one at a time, but let's just leave them all up there. Uh, sitting at home. Do you talk about God in your home? Do you talk about what you're learning about God in your home, in your family? What family members are learning? Do you talk about how, how God answers your prayer? What about walking or driving along the road? Do you use life events to show kids how Scripture applies? Do you ever think about that? Do you see things when you're driving that you could talk about spiritual things? Do you see a billboard that might bring up a good discussion? Or behavior as you're driving along that might bring up a good discussion? I don't mean about putting people down. I'm just getting your kids to think. How to process. How to bring Scripture into their life and think. What would be wise... Is this consistent with what Jesus wants us to do in our character? Um, And then as we, how about driving in the car, practicing patience, practicing kindness, show them uh, what grace is all about, and forgiveness, little simple things. Or when you go to bed, do you help your kids learn to pray? Do you take time at bed and just ask God to watch over them or thank them, looking back, what, thank them for what God did this day that applied to them, that took care of them, that provided for their needs? Uh, or when you get up, when you get up in the morning, will your kids see you uh, reading your Bible? And I don't care if you read your Bible in the morning or afternoon or whenever you do it, but do your kids know that? Is it just like... Oh, yeah, I know. My, my mom reads her. Yeah, my dad's Bible is important. And he sometimes marks in it, does silly things like that. And is it, did your kids, is that just what they grew up with? Or is it like, well, my dad has this Bible and it's never been opened and all the pages are perfect? I don't know if he reads it. Uh, is it normal for you to pray at breakfast? Is it, is it normal for you to pray anytime? during your mealtimes in your home? Do you show your kids how uh, they can pray for things that are on their plate that day? 
Okay, verses 8 and 9, these instructions are to be integrated into everyday life. Integrated into everyday life. That's one of the biggest problems with Christianity is we don't integrate it into life. We have Sunday morning and church stuff and faith stuff, and then we have life, and they don't meet. And these instructions are to be integrated into everyday life. How does that happen? Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's how. The first one, tie them as symbol symbols on your hands. Now, I believe the writer, I believe uh, Moses is speaking here metaphorically. You don't necessarily really have to tie them onto your hands. Uh, these are commands to carry into your daily life. They are to affect what you do, your hands, what you are engaged in, what you do, your work. Tie them as symbols on your hands. The scripture should affect what you do. Or we could say, let God's commands carry over into all that you do. Next, there you go. Let God's commands carry over. Secondly, bind them on your foreheads. Again, I think this is figuratively. Bind them on your foreheads. These commands are to guide your thought processes and thought life. Um, it, you know, it's about, do you believe God's promises? Do God's promises direct your day? Your, your, what you think? Or would you rather just worry about all the problems you have? Or would you rather trust God? That's, that's about your thought processes. Thirdly, write God's commands on the door frames of your houses. Right? Let scripture impact your home. Like things like love and kindness and generosity and forgiveness and discipline. They should be a practice in the home. God's word should be practiced in the home. On the door frames of your houses. And we could say, let God's word govern how, we, how you live in your homes. You know, it's not just like having Christian things in your home that makes you a Christian. You know, you can have Christian Bibles and you can have Christian plaques on your wall and verses on your wall. And it's, that's okay and fine. Just, it's really about living it out, living out the truth in your home. And fourthly, write God's command on your city gates. Again, metaphorically, practice your Christian faith in the marketplace. Uh, no cheating in the, in the marketplace. No false witness. No backbiting. Uh, no grumbling or complaining. How about that? That's right out of the Bible. Do not grumble or complain. How about no laziness in the workplace? Write God's command on your city gates. City gates were public. as your public life. So let God's law influence all your public life. Let God's law. And there's a warning here. It's possible for religious tradition to replace your vital relationship with God. And that happens with God's people in the Old Testament. During the time of Jesus, and some of you know this, um, to fulfill Deuteronomy 6, and this is not a bad idea, but this is what they did. They did tie symbols on their hands. They, they, they had little leather pouches, and they put parchments of Scripture in the pouch, like Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. They put that inside the pouch, and they wore those around. And you could tell a pious Jew by where he, he wore, it's called a phylactery. And they also had phylacteries that they wore around their head. They had 
tied a little leather band around their head with a little leather pouch right here in the forehead, and that's where they kept the scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all, all your strength. And they were complying with Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 and through 9. And they also took a mezuzah, a little metal box, and they put the scripture in it, and they nailed it to the door frames of their house. And they took those mezuzahs, and they nailed them to the gates of their city. And none of that's bad. But they made a tradition and missed the meaning of it about living out in their home, living out their faith on a daily basis in the workplace, in the public place. Um, so there's a warning there for us. You know, for some people, just going to church is what it's all about. And so we go through the motions of going to church, and we don't apply Scripture during the week. So I have some suggestions for parents as we close out this morning. Some suggestions for parents. First of all, cu cultivate your own spiritual life. I would say this is the most important thing you can do as a parent. Cultivate your own spiritual life. What about your relationship with God? You have to pursue your own spiritual priorities. It's up to you. It's your, your call, your responsibility. You must grow in God's word yourself. You can't expect your kids just to sort of get it and surpass you. You must grow in prayer. And by the way, how important is church to you? There's a good things about churches and bad things about churches, and churches have strengths and churches have weaknesses. But you know what? The church is the body of Christ, and God's plan for us is to be connected to a local church, somewhere a local church. You should be connected somewhere to a local church, if not here, somewhere else, where you can share your life and people can get to know you, care about you, pray for you, walk with you through life, through its ups and downs and tragedies and joys. That's how we grow. That was God's plan. And how much you make it a priority. You know, things have changed. You know, things have changed a lot in my lifetime. And it's not about just going to church, but being connected to the, to the body is important. You know, one time a month or one time every six weeks or one time every two or three months is not connected. It's not going to help you much when it comes to growing. Secondly, cultivate your marriage relationship. Cultivate your marriage relationship. Your kids need to learn about marriage from you. They need to see love in action at home. What is a loving relationship like? How do men and women treat each other in a loving and honoring way with their, with their words? Where do they learn about honor? Where do, where do women learn how men should treat them? Where does a young man know about what a godly woman is like. Cultivate your marriage relationship. Uh, they need to see you handle conflict. They need to see you practice forgiveness. They need to see your kindness and your, and your courteousness. They need to see it. They get it. And another one of those sayings uh, from uh, Howard Hendricks was, more is caught than taught. That's what happens in our homes. They watch, they catch it. It doesn't make any difference what you said, it's what you did 
That's what they caught. That's what they took away. Thirdly, use opportunities throughout the day to show your dependence on God. Use opportunities throughout your day to show your dependence on God. To talk, to talk about God to your kids. To talk about living by faith. To pray for the needs of the day. I mean, you can, you can stop. You, um, if something comes up, whatever time the day is, if you're, if you're all home together or if it's just mom and home, you can just pray for a need right there. You're teaching them about depending on God. You can show them how to say thank you to God for his everyday provision. Fourthly, read to your children out loud. That one's not even in the Bible. Read to your children out loud. Well, there is a lot of reading out loud in the Bible. Read to your children out loud. This is so crucial with small children. This is how kids learn to read. Uh, There's a lot of studies done about reading. And where kids who grow up where parents read to them out loud, they, they grasp quickly what to do with the book. They know how to hold it. They know that you start at the top left and you work your way down. They know how to turn the pages. They know whether the book is upside down or not long before they ever know what the alphabet is. They're just way ahead of somebody who doesn't learn anything about reading until they get dropped in, parachuted into school. Puts them way ahead. Now, I know that not everybody likes to read, and not everybody is a really good reader. Here's the deal. God's Word is written. And everything we can do to help our kids be able to connect with God's Word. Now, I know that, you know, the... There are CDs and there are online stuff that you can hear, and that's good. You're, uh, you're an audio learner, that's great. We've got to engage God's Word. And if we're going to study God's Word, it's often going to be about being able to understand the written Word. Number five, show your kids how to make wise decisions for themselves. The book of Proverbs is about child training. It's a manual for kids. It's about wisdom. And uh, you've heard me say, wisdom is the art of skillful living. Not everything is black and white. We wish that everything had a black and white answer, but it's not. There's a lot of hard decisions to make, and it takes wisdom. How to make a decision in a gray area. How do you make a wise choice? And wisdom can be learned, experienced. We can help our kids pursue that. So that's about giving your kids responsibility. It's about letting them fail. It's about being patient. It's about helping them evaluate choices that they make without hitting them over the head with guilt. Uh, It's about praising them for good choices. So show your kids how to make wise decisions. And lastly, involve your kids in ministries and programs that support the values of your home. This is the last one, and it's not the most important one. Um, Programs... Ministries like Bridge Kids, like Student Ministries 412, like VBS, like Districts, like uh, Summer Camps, they're all good things. And they can support. But that's primarily not what Christian education is about. It's about you and your kids and what you pass to them. Um, Don't expect other groups to raise your kids. Their role is to assist you, not to do your job. Uh, Be careful not to make your kids' lives too busy. Sometimes we get this, this feeling that the more we get them into good things, we get, something ought to turn out good. And being too busy is not the answer. Uh, let your kids be kids. Let them have some rest time and play time. Your job, and job one, is to pass the baton to your kids. Let's stand and pray.
Thank you, Father, for the Word of God. Thank you for the Scriptures. Thank you for the reminder today of the greatest commandment. And that as we uh, come to know you and know about you and understand you, you desire that we love you back and that we uh, apply Scripture to our lives. And I'm just reminded of Jesus' words, if you love me, keep my commands. Lord, would you remind us of that all this week? Amen.